Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. This is Lou Moore with the Washington Research Council. I'm here today with Chris Showbloom, who is our research director and economist, as well as Emily Makings, our senior research analyst. And today we're going to take a little bit closer look at the revenue side of uh, budget proposals we're reading about in the news, specifically what the House brought forward in terms of new revenues or revenue enhancement. Chris, what's going on? So we now have um, Senate and House budgets that have passed. Both of these budgets have uh, assumptions on what's being uh, on revenues that will be available to fund them. The assumptions are really just assumptions now. There are bills that are floating around that would implement various things. So they're not as firm as the uh, as the spending numbers are. But just a, a high level summary. You mentioned, you know, sort of new revenues, but actually the broader term that's used are resources, new resources that are going to be available. And typically the new resources are in three groupings. One is revenue legislation, which are really what you think of as tax increases or tax decreases. The second are fund transfers. You can think of budget staff kind of going through the couches of the state, sucking up uh, nickels and dimes wherever they can find them. So they're finding excess funds that are in various locations. Sometimes when they find excess funds, there really are some policy issues that are going on that are associated with them. And then the third place are what's called budget-driven revenue, where there's something that's taken place in the budget that itself will lead to a change in the revenue forecast. The House has... uh, House budgets assumes one billion five hundred and sixty-two million of new resources coming in. Of that, a little less than a uh, hundred million comes from fund transfers, and virtually all of the remainder comes from legislation, uh, new revenues. On the Senate side, kind of these new resources total uh, six hundred and thirty-seven million dollars. So there are significant new resources that are coming in. Fund transfers contribute to 375 million of that. Another 300 million comes from a bill that they describe as marijuana regulation, but it really is a replumbing of where the uh, taxes on marijuana go. And then net revenue legislation uh, adds two pieces. They've got a set of bills which actually subtract $114 million. And then um, a couple of uh, positives. I'll go through those in a minute. On the House side, the big story is the uh, the bill we've talked about before. I think uh, HB two 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 four, which does a number of things, including reinstating the three tenths of a percent uh, B&O surtax on services in the service category while increasing the small business credit. So they're immunizing the smaller businesses from that increase. Repealing a preferential B&O rate for travel agents, which is expected to generate about $14 million uh, in the upcoming biennium. The interesting thing about this is we think of that, it's, you know, the travel agents we knew growing up just aren't anywhere nearly as active as they are today as they were in the past. This bill will, among others, hit 
the company that I uh, was talking about on an earlier uh, podcast we recorded today, Expedia, where they actually are taxed as a travel agent on some things. Also appears to that it will be hitting uh, the cruise line business coming through the city, uh, as far as I can tell. Repealing the sales and use tax exemption on bottled water, converting the non-resident sales tax exemption into a refund, uh, figuring that uh, many, many uh, out-of-state residents uh, will not bother claiming refunds on small purchases. Uh, So that adds revenue. I know one that's near and dear to your heart, though, is the 5% uh, capital gains tax on individuals that's been proposed. It's near, but it's not dear. (laughs) Well... You know, it's a dog we love to kick. Um, So Governor Inslee had proposed in his budget a 7% uh, capital gains tax. And we had written on that and pointed out a number of things that we would see as being disadvantageous with this form of taxation. One of the things that we pointed to was volatility, uh, that you can't really count on this revenue because it moves around a great deal. And the House plan attempts to deal with the volatility issue by having the revenue from the capital gains tax go into a specific dedicated account and then sets up transfers from the account to the general fund at levels they think will be sustainable. They see this account building up a surplus in good times so that they can actually sustain revenue from it during the downturns. Uh, of course, they proceed to appropriate almost all the money that's coming in today. And and as I, I was talking about with the uh, funds transfers, uh, every year they go around vacuuming coins out of every account they can get. So you might probably expect this is going to be the case with that one anyway. They're getting a little bit of money from uh, repealing a preferential tax rate for prescription drug uh, resellers. They're repealing the use tax exemption for extracted fuel. Now, extracted fuel is is fuel that... uh, that a manufacturer kind of derives from waste products that they have. Uh, one prominent version type of extracted fuel is hog fuel, which uh, uh, lumber mills create, and where you're getting kind of waste wood product out of the sawing, and then you can burn that. This repeal would not apply to the hog fuel. Another form of extracted fuel appears at petroleum refineries, where in the distillation process, some gas is produced, which the refiners then burn to to provide heat for the uh, refining process. This is the main target of this repeal. It would be taxed uh, at the same rate uh, as natural gas is taxed. Another one is the, um, it, it deals with the percent tax rate that apply and under the B&O that applies to royalties. Um, right now, they, um, the royalty royalties are being taxed um, at the 4.484% uh, rate, which is the rate that applies to retailing and manufacturing. Uh, and they're going to take them up to the 1.8% now uh, rate that applies to services. So just a quick question there. Who gets royalties? Software publishers get royalties. Um, They get royalties when they allow a computer manufacturer to install software as opposed to getting it. So it's not that that transaction is not treated as a as a sale of the software by the software publisher to the ultimate consumer. And then there are also royalties with, I think, the use of uh, photographic images and a number of other things. Actually, royalties have become a much bigger deal 
in the new information economy than they had been uh, previously. Okay. Um, there's a provision to change our nexus standards for remote sales, for sales, uh, for the remote sales of the sales tax, and also correspondingly for the B&O tax. This is intended to provide a mechanism through which the state will be able to force out-of-state online retailers to collect sales tax. There was a Supreme Court decision a couple of weeks ago where one of the justices hinted that um, the court would like to see someone bring a case to them so they could revisit their previous decisions, which severely constrain the abilities of states to impose a collection responsibility on out-of-state retailers. The bill actually says that one of their goals is to provide a case to go to the Supreme Court. And it references this comment by the, by, hmm. uh, by the justice. Finally, in this listing, there's a, a limit of the, um, the foreclosure exemption for the real estate excise tax. So they're going to try and apply REIT uh, when the transactions, when, the, uh, when a bank repossesses a uh, property. There's a few, a few of those types of transactions yes, going on. Yes, uh, fortunately, not as many as we've seen in the past, but... So, Chris, when we talked about these tax proposals back in an, in an earlier episode, there had only been the total number that they would all collectively bring in about $1.5 billion. Have you seen a breakout? Yes, since then? There, there was actually a sheet that was a kind of a handout at the hearing when the House Finance Committee did that, looked at it, which provides a breakdown. So, which are the big, which ones bring in the big money? The big bucks are in the BO surtax, which is projected to generate. Uh, a little over a half billion dollars in the 2015-17 biennium, and the capital gains tax, which is projected to generate $570 million. I think it's relatively straightforward to estimate what you'll gain by boosting the B&O tax. After all, that's a, a tax you're already collecting, so you you know, assuming that you don't change the value of transactions by much, uh, you got a historical record and you can just do the math. The capital gains tax is a, is a whole different kettle of fish. I mean, just the volatility of it means that it's hard to forecast in the first place. Uh, secondly, the federal capital gains tax rates have gone up significantly. We have the base rate from 15 to 20 percent, and then now they're, they've got the uh, affordable care Medicare thing that's on top of that. So for much of the history, recent history we have took place in a regime where federal taxes were lower than they are today. So we might expect that that itself would lead there to be fewer capital gains going forward than we would have seen in the past. And then you add the state tax on top of that. And so the, the higher level of taxation would lead one to believe that there will be fewer, uh, be fewer transactions than the historical record shows. And just real quick, Chris, explain why the capital gains tax is volatile or more volatile than some other forms of taxation, since some of our friends out there uh, are saying the opposite. There are two reasons. First, that a lot of these things come from the sales of, of stocks and bonds, and we know how the, price, the value, prices of stocks and bonds go up and down. And then the second thing is that one typically has a choice of whether or not to sell. 
And so when you change the, the tax rate on capital gains, you're likely to see fewer capital gains being taken. You know, often investors will sell an asset because there's an alternate asset they think will do a bit better. When you make that comparison between stock A and stock B, uh, stock A has got to do enough better than B to cover the taxes you're going to be paying in order to make that swap. Mm-hmm. So as you increase the, the kind of the, the toll on making that swap, fewer of those swaps will be made. Absolutely. And, and real estate is another source of capital gains tax, which yes. is unfortunately or fortunately, depending on where you were in the market, it had been an up and down situation yes, right. as well. Um, okay. Very good. Chris Showbloom, thank you very much. Emily Makings, appreciate you being here as well. My name is Lou Moore. Thank you for joining us. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.